0: Hey guys, I'm Chastity and you're listening to the Ancient Conspiracies Podcast, where we connect the origins of some of the most popular conspiracy theories to biblical history. Hey guys, I wanted to come on today and talk about Jonathan Kahn's book, The Return of the Gods. Now, I know I've talked about this in a previous episode of the podcast, um, but I wanted to come on because everywhere I look, he is doing more and more interviews, promoting this book, and it is so absolutely relevant for everything that's kind of coming at us in the news and um, all the different prophecies even the fall feasts of Israel that are coming up in the fall that I'm going to be talking about next week Um, so I wanted to come on I'm doing this on two different platforms so it's a little bit more relaxed today um, but I wanted to talk through this and share some of this very fascinating information with you So I'm going to beat this horse to death one more time. I know I've mentioned Enoch over and over, but I really feel like this is the foundation. You have to truly understand the history to understand what happened all throughout history and the prophecies of what's coming back, what's coming back on earth, the evil that has been around, the evil plan that's kind of elaborate. Um, And so I'm going to start with the book of Enoch yet again, real brief clip of In the book of Enoch, the fallen angels descended to earth, they mate with the women of earth, they have these giant children, and then they enact all this corrupting of knowledge, of DNA, of literally plants, animals, people, everything on earth was corrupted, and this is why God brings the flood. Um, So when God comes and he enacts judgment on these fallen angels and their descendants, of course the fallen angels are told that they will never again know the heavenly realm. They will never again be allowed access to heaven and then they are bound for judgment. Uh, Their descendants on the other hand, these Nephilim, the giants, they were actually cursed because they were part angel part human with mortal bodies that died with the flood. But their spirits were eternal because they were heavenly and therefore they were told that these spirits although the bodies would die with the flood The spirits would live on as evil spirits to roam the earth and war against mankind. And this is the origins of demonic activity, possession, paranormal. All these things have continued for literally millennia um, to this point. And they have continued to resurface. And again, if you remember the knowledge that was given before the flood, the fallen angels also taught mankind how to conjure things, um, drug usage, and these kind of things to access kind of spiritual realms realms. And so all of this is seen and kind of culminates with Nimrod. After the flood, Nimrod is really the leader of the religion who brings back this and kind of resurrects this knowledge and then promotes it to the world. Now, we are told by God that because they were all of one language, had they actually been able to go through with this, nothing would have been impossible for them. So therefore, he comes and he confuses the language, and then from here, the people are dispersed over all the earth, according to the languages that they spoke. They all kind of congregated and moved all throughout the earth, but they took with them this knowledge, this religion, and their gods. Uh, and of course, these gods were all the same gods, but according to the different languages, they all became the gods gods. Of the pantheons, of the Egyptians, of the Greeks, of the Sumerians, of all these different pantheons were the same people, but they went by different names. And this knowledge was carried throughout the earth. So it goes to show that in every culture on earth throughout history, there were a pantheon of gods. There was the pagan uh, pantheon of gods. The only exception was Israel. And that's because they were monotheistic. They only worshiped the one God. And there's a really interesting plug that I have to put here is years ago, I watched a documentary. In fact, I think I have it saved. I may have to uh, promote it and insert some clips of it eventually. But it was a connection to Moses being the potential brother of the Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten. Now, if you remember... All the pharaohs throughout Egyptian history worshipped the Pantheon. Akhenaten was the only uh, Egyptian pharaoh who promoted a monotheistic religion, the worship of the sun, which I always think of as a play off of the son of God, but he was worshipping the sun. Maybe he had it confused in his mind and he, he was hearing of the sun or the Messiah or something along those lines. I don't know what was spoken about in his day at that time, um, but I always that's always kind of what comes to mind mind So, um, the history, according to this documentary, seems to line up uh, with the right time frame of Moses, who, remember, was raised Egyptian, being in the potential time frame of King Akhenaten. Um, and so, I always thought that was fascinating, that, that that may be a potential connection of Moses to, you know, what we consider true history. Um, of like the Egyptian pantheons and maybe he had some sway in the Egyptian culture uh, to kind of you know move them towards monotheism but regardless all throughout history every major culture of history worshiped a pantheon and Israel was really the only culture that worshiped uh, one god monotheism So Moses goes on to say in Deuteronomy that uh, people were sacrificing to the idols, to the false gods, to gods they didn't know, and that gods that had only recently appeared again. And that the Hebrew translation for this word idols or false gods is shedim. It means spirits. It's referenced again in Leviticus when it was talking about them sacrificing their children to these spirits to Moloch. Moloch was the main god, the main pagan god in history that people sacrificed their children to. And this same word is Shaddim, these spirits that they, these idols that they were sacrificing their children. So the idea in this book, Return of the Gods, that Jonathan Kahn is promoting is that behind these gods that were statues and idols and all these things were actually spirits that had come back and they were continually trying to promote themselves like they did prior to the flood now he doesn't make the connection i don't know in the book i haven't read the book yet but in his interviews and his promotion of this book he's not made the connection that the origins of these spirits were from before the flood now it might be in the book i don't know but at this point in time in his interviews he has not connected that but we know after reading the book of Enoch that these spirits originated from the days before the flood. This was their origins, but you can see throughout his book and his promotion that these spiritual entities were behind the gods of old, all the pantheons. So in the New Testament, Paul also references these spirits, but he actually calls them daemonia, which was a Greek term and is where we get our English term demons. So this is again connecting these evil spirits to demonic activity. And herein lies where we kind of transition into Jonathan Kahn's book and he calls it a dark trinity there's a dark trinity the three most important dark gods in the pagan cultures they're all you know the same people they were just given different names based on the different cultures and we'll talk about that in a second so as people turned away as these cultures turned away from God they actually turned to these other gods you know it's kind of like if you have an empty vessel it has to be filled by something and there's always a trinity of these gods in every culture. And again, I'm going to beat another dead horse. I've said this several times and I'm going to say it again. Everything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit. And this is exactly where you see it again. The trinity of God, Satan has his own counterfeit. And this is typically those top three gods in every pagan culture. This was called what Jonathan Con calls the dark trinity. And with these gods came possession. So their oracles and their spiritual leaders of these pagan cultures, cultures in many cases exhibited qualities of possession like foaming at the mouth and violently shaking in their attempts to kind of access and glean information from these gods Uh, But he goes on to say that this possession was never confined to individuals. It was actually entire cultures could become possessed. So then connecting this vessel, like I was talking about, with always having to be filled with something, he goes on to explain the parable of that evil spirit mentioned in Luke 11, who's driven out of a man and goes through arid places. And when he doesn't find a new home, he returns to the home that he left, which was the man who he was cast out of. And when he comes back, the vessel's empty, and it's clean. It's all swept clean. So what he does is he goes out and he collects seven worse spirits than himself, and he brings them back, and they all repossess the man. And he compares this parable to America's future. So all the cultures throughout ancient civilization were pagan cultures. America is really the first nation that was truly founded um, in... God and what he's saying is that these three pagan gods they had a way of entering a civilization and converting it away from God, away from scripture, into pagan, you know, cultures and practices. And so, this is what we have seen happen in America, it's inching its way back in. And what he is saying is that when these spirits come back to America because we are turning ourselves away from God then they're going to be worse than what we've ever seen throughout history, just like the parable. What's coming into America is going to be worse than what we've seen in the past because we've, we're repossessed again. So here he's talking about this trinity, and this is the information that I wanted to share with you because I found it so incredibly fascinating. If you haven't watched any of his videos or interviews, um, he's got some on Skywatch TV He has one that he did with Dr. James Dobson, Family Talk. Um, He also has a few others. Just YouTube, Jonathan Kahn. Uh, return of the gods and you will find probably several interviews of his and he goes into really deep information about what his book is about but i want to talk about the trinity the dark trinity and their history of how when they influenced christian cultures or in the times of the disciples this was what these disciples when when christ trained them to go out into the world this is what they were up against and you will see that this is exactly what we are up against today So the head of the Trinity, according to Jonathan Cahn, was always what he called the possessor, which back in those days was Baal. Baal was the head of kind of the pantheon in every civilization. And Baal literally translates, uh, Baal literally translates possessor. He was the owner, the master, the Lord. And Baal is always the first He's the substitute God who initiates the falling away. He's the one who's always trying to substitute himself for the one true God of the Hebrews. Now, the spirit of Baal was to drive God out of a culture. And in the 1960s, there was a start of a progressive movement back then, if you remember, that was the initiation of the removal of prayer from school and scripture from school and the removal of God from public places. So the Bible says that Baal actually caused Israel to forget God, like spiritual amnesia. And Jonathan Kahn says that even now we're getting to such a spiritual place of confusion that we're forgetting that America was even a nation founded under God. Now, Baal was the God who promised prosperity. Now, you know, America is the country that promotes prosperity and freedom and liberty. He promoted a pagan morality, the idea that you can create your own God, that you are God, kind of like the serpent in the Garden of Eden who said, you're not going to die. You know, you just eat this fruit and you will be like the gods, knowing good and evil. It's that same concept. So he promoted the idea that you can create your own God, you are God, and you determine your own reality and truth. And now, of course, we're hearing, that's my truth, that's your truth, that's his truth, whatever. If a man thinks he's a woman, then that's his truth, and we have to accept it. But this is actually a pagan morality, and Baal was just the first of the gods. So with him came what was believed to be, in ancient cultures, his wife, who was known as the Enchantress. And her name in uh, the Hebrew scriptures was Ashtoreth. Um, in Babylonia, she was known as Ishtar. Now, Ishtar is a very interesting name because we're going to cover it in the spring when we talk about Easter. It's where we get our modern translation. Easter came from Ishtar, and it was from ancient Babylonia. Now in Greece, she was also known as Aphrodite, and in Rome, she was Venus. So the Canaanite mythology of Ashtoreth is spoken of as the wife of Baal, and the focal point of this enchantress is actually sexuality. She was known as the prostitute goddess, the harlot, And she comes to overturn biblical morals of sexuality. Well, if Bell showed up in the 1960s with the removal of God from schools and the public places, you also find in the 1960s this sexual revolution. Um, It's a pagan sexual morality being promoted just You know, freedom. But by transforming sexuality, you can actually transform the definition of marriage, family, and ultimately the entire civilization. She was literally known as the goddess of destruction, and she's depicted in many cases with a sword. Now, she was also uh, known as a prostitute. In Greek, this translates to porne, which is where we get our modern term porn from. And then pornography is essentially the study of her, the study of her writings kind of a thing, which were very erotic. Again, uh, it comes from another Greek word, eros, eros. Eros was a Greek god that was believed to be her son. And it's where we get our modern term erotic. Again, all things kind of sexual connecting back to Ashtoreth or Ishtar or uh, Venus or Aphrodite. All the same person. They were just known under different names in different cultures. So, America, according to Dr. James Dobson, he undoubtedly sat on the board of um, the fight against pornography for many years now. And he He claims that America is still to this day considered the porn capital of the world and not only are we possessed by this but we are now the leader that is spreading this garbage to the world and I found that really just incredibly devastating and fascinating all at the same time that we are now becoming because we are such a great power on the globe um, you know what started as a nation under God has become the spreader of filth Um, And it just shows the power of this possession. So in one of her ancient stone writings, this is another interesting fact. She calls herself both a man and a woman. She actually has the power to turn men into women and women into men. And she also has the power to confuse gender itself. And here again, in the 1960s and the 1970s, we see a movement begin to defeminize women and emasculate men. She was also known, so fascinating, as the androgynous goddess. She was a woman who had attributes of a man. And in today's society, what do we see? When you're walking the red carpet of any of these famous celebrity events, um, you see men in dresses you know, or women who are very masculine, wearing a suit, wearing short haircuts, you're seeing this uh, blurring of the lines of gender identity. um, And that's very fascinating that she was one of the uh, main dark trinity, that when they infiltrated a culture, these are the things that were confused within that culture. And that's what we're seeing in America today. This is totally the pop culture of today. And even it goes on to say that her priests even had same-sex relations with each other, with others. And so, again, it's all things sexual. The pornography, the erotica, the confusion of gender identities. Uh, all of these things are attributed to what Jonathan Kahn calls the enchantress, um, who was Ashtoreth in the Canaanite uh, religion. So the final uh, trilogy, the final God who comes in to take over a nation in this trilogy is called the Destroyer, and he was Moloch. Now in the pagan world, human sacrifice was common. When the children of Israel turn away from God, they sacrifice their children to Baal and Moloch. Now I don't know if any of you remember way back in the day when Alex Jones was first getting started. Now I'm not a huge Alex Jones fan. Let me put that plug in here. But when he was getting started, I had obtained a copy of one of his videos where he became famous because he infiltrated the Bohemian Grove. Do you guys remember that? Um, The Bohemian Grove is out in California, and it was believed at the time, and I hope I get this right, that some of the world's most elite, especially presidents, the Bushes were really known to be there, maybe the Clintons, but definitely the Bushes. It was kind of known as um, kind of a man's uh, gathering where the men would come every year or so many years. And there was undoubtedly a large statue of Moloch. And Alex Jones was put on the map because he infiltrated the Bohemian Grove, somehow snuck onto the property, and recorded a ceremony that was happening in pitch black with this huge, like, owl type figure lit up that was Moloch. And they were worshiping. They were all in these cloaks, these white cloaks that reminded me of, like, the KKK. And they were doing this ceremony, this kind of spiritual, evil, religious ceremony, and he recorded it. So every time I hear Moloch, I always think of it's all the way through modern times when Alex Jones infiltrated the Bohemian Grove. If you guys have never heard of that, go look it up. You can YouTube Alex Jones Bohemian Grove, and you will find some of the footage of... um, that infiltration but as you can see as a culture starts being taken over by these spirits we see these things even in modern days these were not just gods of the ancient pagan days these are gods that have returned and will continue to return and manifest even in today's date so basically the only thing that can stop um, these pagan cultures from offering up their children as sacrifice is the gospel. Now, I don't know if you're familiar, but the Christians, Christianity, what came out of the teachings of Christ were the ones who came in and found the original orphanages. We were the ones that founded the orphanages, the hospitals, the home for the elderly. Because in pagan cultures, if you couldn't afford to feed your children, you pretty much kicked them out of your home. You abandoned them. Uh, You sacrificed them to sexual immorality, to starvation, or to death. Um, That is how harsh and evil these pagan cultures were. Children, the weak, uh, were not seen... In a light of respect or reverence, they were cast aside, they were left to starve, um, they were sacrificed for money or literally on an altar um, to a God somewhere in return for something. Uh, But in, in America, what are we seeing today? We see this same sacrifice of children once again commonly offered to the public. Um, Of course, today, we're not putting children on statues and burning them to death. Um, It's known as abortion. But the only difference between the pagan history and today is that back then, they killed thousands of children. Today, we kill millions. And not only that, but what about our classrooms? We're opening our children up in school to a reprobate mind. Transgenderism is being touted as story time. And there's cartoons about demons and witches and vampires, and we're allowing our children To be subtly influenced and desensitized to evil and the occult. It's a very, very scary thing, but this is the direction our country is heading. Um, Everything is becoming more open, more accepted, more desensitized. And this this is part of the plan. This has been the plan. Same storybook, same playbook. They repeat the same thing over and over, and yet we just see it over and over throughout history. Once you have the pattern... It just continues and you continue to see it resurrect and come back again and come back again and come back again. But this is why God hated these other gods. This is why he hated the worship of these other gods and he begged and pleaded and commanded that his children, his followers did not worship these other gods because this is uh, what they were you know, infiltrated to do to do these evil pagan practices that are really purely evil and then that leads me into the next topic that i wanted to cover today which was the fall feast of israel so i'm seeing lots of videos talking about things coming in the fall, talking about the parable of the virgins. I've heard this from numerous platforms in the last few days, uh, this parable of the virgins. And what's interesting is I recorded my podcast information for next week already, a couple of days ago. And in that, I'm talking about the very first feast of Israel, the first fall feast of Israel, because we're going into the fall feast coming up September the 26th. And in that, there was the parable of the virgins and how that connects to this first fall feast. So for those of you that haven't ever studied the fall feast of Israel, it's very interesting. It's not just for the Jews or for uh, the Israelites. Okay, It was not just for them. These were given by God as his feasts to be observed every year because they were basically dress rehearsals for Christ's coming. So it's widely believed that Christ fulfilled the spring feast in his first coming. He died on Passover at the exact same time that the Passover lamb was being slain. That's the time that Christ died. Then he was buried on unleavened bread and then he rose again three days later the same time when the Hebrews or Jews celebrate the first fruits and he was given as the offering to God uh, for the sins of the world. So he fulfilled the spring feast with his first coming and it's widely believed that he will fulfill the fall feast when he comes again. And so we are all anxiously awaiting his second return, and guess what? If he's going to come and fulfill these fall feasts, then we need to be aware of what happens on these fall feasts traditionally that God commanded them to observe year after year so that they would be at the right place at the right time when he comes back. So I'm going to briefly go through these feasts really quickly, just to touch on them, I'm going to go heavily in depth in my next three podcasts to really give you the full picture and magnitude of um, the impact of these and what we have to look forward to. These are what's going to happen on the days that he returns and raptures his church and then God pours his wrath out and then we are find ourselves in heaven in our heavenly homes on the day of tabernacles, Sukkot. So, Yom Teruah is the first feast that kicks off the Fall Feast, and it's actually known as the Feast of Trumpets. Now, all throughout Scripture, when Christ returns, he returns with trumpets. So, it makes sense that the Feast of Trumpets is the date that he returns to earth and raptures his church. Now, ten days after Yom Teruah is Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur is considered the date... That the books are closed and the judgment is, is set. So it's believed that also on Yom Teruah, God opens the book and He's going through an account of everybody's history. Like, have you been good? Have you, you know, are you following Him? Are you doing these things? And then you have 10 days to get yourself right, according to the Jews. Now, the Jews go by works, okay? We were told by Christ we don't go by works. We go by faith. But the Jews still go by works. So according to them, this is the time where they should be really racking up their goodness like Santa Claus. You better get on his nice list because come Yom Kippur... The books are closed and your judgment is set, buddy. Um, And so that's what we see. Yom Kippur is the date that the judgment is set. Now, how that's prophetic for those of us as Christians and how this will be fulfilled when Christ returns is that it's believed that Christ will return and rapture his church. Those who are left behind have a period of time in which they need to make some serious decisions. Uh, do they believe God or are they just going to keep living in their ways? Because once that time is up, the judgment has been set. This is the judgment period and you the books are closed and you will live an eternity in heaven, or you will have an eternity in in the fires of hell. So that's how that that uh, uh, feast is fulfilled. And then the final feast is Sukkot, which is the feast of tabernacles. It's believed that this is when we will all experience our heavenly home with Christ. He will come. The earth will be made new. Um, and this is kind of the celebration of that. Now, of course, according to the Jews, it's a little something different because they don't believe that their Messiah has yet come. So very fascinating. We're going to cover these three fall feasts in the next few uh, podcasts so you can hear of how they are really important to us, those of us watching and waiting. Again, this is what ties back to that parable of the virgins. The ten who were standing there, five didn't have enough oil, so they went back to go get oil, and by the time the messenger comes to say, hey, the bridegroom is coming... You know, the ones who had oil went into the feast, and the ones who didn't were left behind. It goes to show that they were waiting, uh, patiently watching and prepared for when the return of Christ was was coming. And for many modern-day Christians, we are not taught uh, the Feast of Israel. We're not taught those. We're taught, uh, you know, uh, Halloween christmas easter we're kind of on a christian calendar we're not on the calendar of god the hebrew calendar and we don't understand the depth of what these mean and why god put them in place for us to observe for all of his children to observe even those of us grafted in by christ to observe so that we were at the right place at the right time when he returns that's the power so anyhow, that's about all I have today. I wanted to leave you with a little note of encouragement here um, because there's so much information coming at us uh, from all these different directions and it is so easy at times to be overwhelmed, to be full of fear and um, and to live in that. So I wrote something down. I wanted to kind of um, read through it and and hopefully give you some encouragement. Uh, my podcast will never be a place where I am trying to promote fear tactics or propaganda. I'm trying to share uh, truth. I'm trying to share knowledge. I'm trying to share scripture. I try to keep everything grounded and anchored in truth and in the Bible, and so as we inch closer to things coming upon the earth, I wanted to encourage you to have faith and not to live in fear. Uh, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, I do believe in preparing as best we can, but I just want to tell you that if you put your faith in your preparations and in your protections, then those can easily be taken away. I mean, you talk about a fire, a flood, a tornado. I mean, who knows? But yes, prepare. Have your lamps filled with oil and be watching like the parable of the virgins. But our faith needs to be in God. And He needs to be our focus. And what's even more important than stocking up your pantry is sharing the love of god with your children even your grown children praying in front of them and with them reading the bible with them talking to them about salvation and forgiveness talking through the tough times with them and exampling for them the fact that god is still in control and still has a plan no matter what comes at us these are the roots that we're going to have to lay down even for ourselves the anchor that we need to be held in truth as we continually are bombarded with information and really propaganda. So I just wanted to come on and share that with you, that yes, be prepared, yes, be watching, yes, be ready, but be grounded. Be anchored in truth. Do not let fear control your decisions. Have faith that God has a plan. This was the plan from the beginning. We know the plan. We were given the plan. We were given the playbook. We know the outcome. So as we see these things happen, rather than being afraid, we need to really be affirmed that everything we were told is coming is actually coming And yet we are going to be protected. We have a different future than those without hope. And so I hope that blesses you. I hope that kind of helps re-anchor you, re-cement you to reality. The reality is not all this propaganda. The reality is not all the fear of the things that are coming. The reality is that we have a future and a hope. Uh, The reality is that our Christ is coming back. And he's coming back for us and for our children and for our family. And we will once again be reunited with everyone that we love. We will get to know the saints that have gone before us. We will get to know Christ our Savior face-to-face. And that, to me, is so much more impactful on my spirit to pass on than anything fear-related. Because that's not of God. So anyhow, that's where I'm going to end it today. I just wanted to come on and share with you if you haven't already read Jonathan Kahn's book or heard any of his promotions of this book. It's incredible. It's fascinating. It's exactly relevant for what we're dealing with today. And also be watching for these podcasts on the feast of the lord they are also relevant now again we don't know the year when this will happen but we know the feasts and the seasons and that's what we're going into right now is the fall feast so anyhow i hope that blesses you guys and we'll talk to you next time bye